And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. Green light 3-0 and she's gone! Welcome to the 3-0 Show, part of the Athletic Baseball Show. It is Wednesday, January 11th. Derek Van Riper, Katie Wu, Eno Saris here with you on this episode the Carlos Correa saga is finally over. Now, look, I think we're all grateful as writers and podcasters that we were able to stretch Carlos Correa content over like a full month when it looked like he had a team in the middle of December. But it's actually the Minnesota Twins. The world, well, it's just, it's, it's a circle. Everything's a circle. It all comes back to the beginning. Carlos Correa ends up right where he ended the 2022 season albeit with a lot less money coming his way, right? A much more a creatively structured deal. So that's where we begin today. The new Carlos Correa contract as he is once again a member of the Minnesota Twins. Here are the details. These are from our colleague Dan Hayes at The Athletic. It's $200 million over six years guaranteed. The final four years are vesting options at $575, $550, dollars and then $502 plate appearances, and if the options don't vest, the Twins actually have team options for those years. So a pretty big difference compared to the original contract that Correa was offered from the Giants that was eventually pulled back. So, you know, let's just start with a broad question here. When you think about a mega deal for any team, how should it be graded in the long run? How are we going to know if this ended up being a good move for the Twins to make a long-term commitment to Correa? Uh, especially after two teams walked away from bigger deals with them? Yeah, that's a difficult question. It's, you know, there's the fan answer, which is, did we do something in the playoffs? <laughs> you know, like, I think that's that's the way you would grade it, is if you won some hardware somewhere along the line. And I think that's fair. I'm not, I'm not denigrating that. But, um, you know, from a perspective of player addition, I think you just want him to be an all-star for three, four years. I think if you do that, then you've done well because you've only committed to six years and every deal has baked in the last two years of, uh, well, we're paying what for what? <laughs> and that's just uh, the nature of free agency. These guys are mostly post-peak, even Carlos Correa uh, being one of the younger uh, guys that's out there. At 28, he's by definition a couple of years behind uh, the peak age in baseball, which is around 26. So you just want him to be an all-star until he's 32. Uh, and then I think you uh, would feel like you 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 got what you paid for. What do you think, Katie? Is it as simple as, as you know describes it, where it's just individual performance, or do you think Twins fans and the broader baseball community will look at this uh, kind of more in the they went to a World Series or won a World Series? Are going to grade it on more of a, a team sort of outcome as opposed to an individual outcome? Honestly, I think it's a combination of both. I mean. From a fan perspective, you know, it's totally right. You want to win the World Series. It doesn't really matter who's on your team. 
if you can't win the World Series. Uh, but for Correa to invest that much money in one of the top, if not the top shortstops available on the market, you also need him to have individual success to justify it from a team perspective. So, you know, if, if Correa can be that team leader, if he can uh, notch a couple of all-star berths and the Twins become a powerhouse in the AL Central and at least have a legitimate shot to make a deep run in the playoffs every year, eventually as a fan, I mean, you're, you're going to want again, you're going to want to win the World Series or at least come close. But for me, if you're going to justify the overall success of the steal when we're looking back at it six years from now, you're going to have to see Correa being the type of player the Twins envision him being, which is that top of the top caliber shortstop, along with the Twins also being one of the top teams, not just in the AL Central, but in the American League. Yeah, I think they still have a little ways to go to close the gap on other American League contenders. But being in the Central, I think it's a completely different story. It's the same thing in the NL Central, too. I think those teams generally are a notch below the top teams in the East and the West. But as you look at this team with Correa back in the fold, are the Twins your current AL Central favorite? I'll throw it to you first, Katie. I mean, if we're going off recency bias, of course, Correa is their shortstop as of today. And if you're a Twins fan, this is like the most surreal thing ever because he was supposed to be a giant who was supposed to be a Met. And all of a sudden he's right back where he started. Um, when you're, but when you're looking at the AL Central, and I completely agree about both Central uh, divisions, they are kind of like the, the lesser of the three. The AL Central hasn't really had a lot of moves. Now, when you're looking at Minnesota, before the Correa news, you know, they made some good moves. They have Kyle Farmer. Christian Vasquez got that deal because they needed a catcher. I liked the Joey Gallo deal. It's a one-year flyer. You know, if he can find somewhere that, that embodies what he did with Texas, I know it's been a little bit, and that's all of a sudden a solid pickup. I look at the White Sox, and there's a couple of questions for me there. The biggest one, of course, being their, their new manager. They lost Jose Abreu, but they did pick up Benintendi, and... You know, Mike Clevenger could be due for a bounce back year. And then you have Cleveland, who surprised everybody. Their only really big move was getting Josh Bell. So I'm looking at the AL Central. I'm not seeing anyone that really jumps out at me on the paper. It's certainly not the Royals, no disrespect intended. But I do think that if we're, I know there's maybe a month before spring training, which sounds very scary to say. Um, when you're looking at this, the AL Central division, I think it's the Twins. And that is without the Carlos Correa bias. When you add him in, I think that's the clear front runner. Yeah, I think it's. Uh, I think that's a defensible position. I think it's. I I, I would put it a little bit more as wide open. Uh, that the, those three teams are, are have a chance at it. Um, you know, if you just look at, at straight projections, like uh, that's of course what I checked. The Guardians are. Uh, you know, just because I'm a nerd, uh, the uh, the Guardians are three wins up, but three wins is uh, basically the margin of error sometimes like if you just think about it if uh anybody on the twins steps forward if royce lewis comes back from that acl if brian buxton has one of those fully healthy seasons that he's could that he could have max kepler is somebody who could really benefit from the new rules uh you know that are being instigated with uh with regards to the shift um you know there's a there's some players here jose miranda who's who's young and interesting um, if any of those guys steps forward, that that could be three wins. You know, like that's, a, you know, if one of those guys goes from a meh projection to being an every above average everyday regular, that closes the gap on the Guardians. And if anything bad happens on the Guardians, that, you know, the, the Twins are then ahead. So I would say it's pretty wide open in the Central, and this puts them in the mix, basically, if you want to 
if you want a description of where they are, they are in the mix. <laughs> it's just funny, though, because at one point just a few weeks ago when it looked like Correa was going somewhere else, there were some rumblings that Sonny Gray might be on the move. Clearly, when you bring back Correa, you're not trading away starting pitching because the Twins don't necessarily have enough as they're currently built. You've got Gray. You've got Joe Ryan. They traded for Tyler Malley last year. He's back as long as he's healthy. Kenta Maeda is coming off of elbow surgery. Bailey Ober was hurt a lot last year. Yeah, they've got five guys, and I like all five of them, but uh, four of the five had had major injuries in the last two, three years. Right, so if they can keep the group they have reasonably healthy, that also goes a long way. But I do think they, the group of position players they have has a few more young players that can pop. You know, With Royce Lewis coming off his second ACL tear, it's going to take him a little longer to get back. It's probably more of a, a midsummer return. But a healthy Alex Kirilov, I would put him on that list of, of players that could make this team a lot better than it has been the last couple of seasons from a, a consistency in the run production department. You know what this team is? It's it's high variance. <laughs> this team could go either way. This team could be last in the division. Oof. You know? In that division? Uh, all right. Fourth. <laughs> but my my point is this could go in so many different directions. Byron Buxton could be hurt all year. Royce Lewis could not come back at any point. Carlos Correa just had two of the biggest deals ever nixed by an, by a physical. <laughs> you know? Like Jose Miranda's is interesting, but you know there there are some parts of his profile that maybe pitchers will will find a way to exploit. Kyle Farmer is the is the backstop <laughs> in terms of like if there's a major injury on the infield, he's a starter all of a sudden. Um, I don't know. There's uh, there's things to get excited about. If, if let's say three of those five uh, uh, those pitchers go back down with injury, <laughs> if three of those five pitchers go down with injury, they're 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 pitching Josh Winder, Louis Varland, and maybe uh, pushing Simeon Woods Richardson up. Uh, one of those guys is is well regarded as a prospect. So you know it's it, it's uh it's a high variance dice roll. They're they're they and they seem more willing to take on injury risk. They traded for Chris Paddock. Uh, even though there was elbow concerns, and then he got TJ. You know, they traded for Tyler Malley, even though, you know, he had actually missed time in this season they traded for him with that shoulder, and then he missed more time at the end of the season. So they're willing to take on this injury risk, and I guess what they're saying is, one of these years, they're all going to be healthy. <laughs> all of this just makes me wonder, though, if they're actually going to be in the trade market in these next few weeks, because now that most of the best free agents are all the best free agents are gone. We could shift our focus to changing rosters that way. And I think the twins might be a good candidate to actually find in a rotation upgrade from someone else. Maybe they're among the teams that could link up with the Marlins on a potential deal. I do think with Cleveland, Katie, I look at Cleveland's rotation compared to the other AL central rotations. They still have a little more in that tank because of their young pitching that we haven't even seen yet, right? It's Bieber and McKenzie, Cal Quantrill, and then it starts to tail off a little bit. We saw Cody Morris at the end of last season. If he's healthy, we probably see Daniel Espino this year. They've got more than that. They've got Tanner Bibby. They've got Gavin Williams. They've got pitching for forever, and they've developed it well for so long that I don't really worry about them having enough, even if I don't like the guys they have at four and five on the depth chart at any given time. So is that maybe the great equalizer in this division that the Guardians still have that and they've got some position players that are finally knocking on the door to come up and contribute as well? Well, I think that's a good point about pitching. And when you're looking at, at Cleveland, 
Bieber and McKenzie just have to stay healthy and you can deal with the rest because the Guardians have so much ample depth, like you mentioned. I mean, I've seen it firsthand from the Cardinals perspective. You can say you have five guys that you are trusted in and you have a solid rotation. Here's the thing about baseball, though, gentlemen. No team ever has had all five starters stay completely healthy and make all 30 starts in a season and everyone pitches to expectations every single start. You need depth, right? And that's what I really like about Cleveland. Yes, there are some young guys or some relatively unproven guys, but there's no point in having a, a, depth, a deep farm system and continuing to produce internal talent and continuing to move guys up the pipeline and develop them if you're not going to eventually give them the opportunity to prove themselves. So while you, of course, never want anyone to get hurt, especially in your top five of your presumed starters of your rotation, if you have that depth, if you have a little bit of unproven depth, that's what they're there for. So I do like Cleveland's ability to, they put themselves in a good position to be flexible if anything comes up pitching-wise. And pitching is so, so important, as we all know. Again, it's going to come down to whether Bieber and McKenzie can be those kind of one-two in the rotation. But if they have those guys staying healthy and making the majority of their starts, I'm not worried about their depth at all from a pitching perspective. And when you look at the White Sox, this is a team that had Lucas Giolito go through a really disappointing season in 2022. They need to bounce back from him. But Dylan Cease took a step forward. You know, Lance Lynn actually missed a lot of time. If he's healthy, that makes a pretty big difference. Katie mentioned the, the Clevenger addition. Michael Kopech's health is a, a bit up in the air right now. Uh, but, you know, I think the problem there is that when the White Sox lose starters, their depth is very problematic. Yeah, you start uh, seeing uh, Martin and, and and Jonathan Stever, or maybe it's Martin uh, and Stever, and they're not they're not that great, especially when compared to like the upside of a Michael Kopech. I mean, Kopech throws really hard, has really nasty stuff, and the upside of a healthy, good command year from him uh, is you know far outweighs what you could get from uh, somebody like Jonathan Lambert. So, you know, I, 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 I think they have some representative guys that can step in. If you're just missing a start or two, you know, some guys that'll, that'll, that'll just pop up and, and, you know, give up four and five or whatever and keep the team in the game. Um, but uh, you know, they're going to need uh, they're going to need to stay healthy there. And then unfortunately uh, you know, uh, you know, best, uh, best of, uh, of health to Liam Hendricks as he battles, um, his, his issues with, uh, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Um, I don't think they can really necessarily count on him returning. So, uh, that, that, uh, that deals a blow to the, the bullpen. The good thing is they had uh, some decent arms in that bullpen. The bad thing is, um, it's not really obvious who's the, the stopper right now. And they're going to need someone to step forward there. So they're going into the season, I think, with more questions than the Guardians and the Twins. Um, they're, you know, they also their second baseman is going to be uh, someone nobody has ever heard of before. They could reunite with Josh Harrison. Josh Harrison is still out there, but I do think <laughs> Pedro Griffel in the manager role—that's addition by subtraction. It just Tony Larusa did not mesh with this roster. I think that became increasingly clear over time. So they could be better in that regard. The day-to-day -day harmony in the clubhouse could be better. The loss of Jose Abreu is a push in the wrong direction with that, and on the field too. I think they have an ample replacement with Andrew Vaughn. But the problem is. I think I like Jose Abreu a lot more as a hitter than I like Andrew Benintendi, who they put in left field. But it does make the team fit a little better defensively. Now Eloy Jimenez can play DH. Maybe that keeps him healthy. He's run into issues. He's hurt himself 
like on the wall. Like he's hurt himself playing outfield. So maybe just play some DH and stay healthy. So uh, the team fits a little bit better together. Also, Ben and Tendi, the, the, the White Sox were bad at striking out last year and bad at chasing pitches outside the zone. Those are both things that Ben Attendee can do, you know, and there's a chance that Ben Attendee goes back to hitting for more power. He he has that in his arsenal. So you know, there are some things that could go right for them, and they could definitely win this division. I think they're also in the mix. But uh, when it comes to uh, more, who has more questions going in, they have the most questions going in, I think. You can sign me up for the Eloy Jimenez full healthy breakout season. I think he, I think he gets more than a handful of MVP votes this year. I think he's going to be that good. And a big part of this team's struggles last year, injuries, lost time for Tim Anderson, lost time for Luis Robert, lost time for Jimenez, lost time for Yasmani Grandal. I think given Grandal's age and position, expecting him to be healthy is probably the the riskiest of all. But if the other key players that lost a lot of time last year are healthier, they're at least going to put more runs on the board on a regular basis in Chicago. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug and play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point of sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. Let's move on to Boston. Some bad news for the Red Sox. We learned on Tuesday, Trevor Story needed elbow surgery on his throwing arm. It was the internal brace surgery. And Katie, I think relative to expectations, this has been a front office that's been under heavy scrutiny throughout this offseason. This is kind of separate from the Story injury, but has any front office had a worse offseason that Chaim Bloom and the Red Sox? You know, it's a good question because I'm as if you're a Red Sox fan, I'm sure your expectations were high coming into the offseason that some changes would be made, especially after a disappointing 2022 season. You look at the AL East, and to me, the both AL East and National League East are the powerhouses of their of their uh, of their leagues, right? 
The Red Sox have to make some substantial changes to compete with teams like the Yankees, like the Blue Jays. I think we can see the Orioles on the rise. You know, the Rays are always in there. And I don't want to discredit the moves that some of the moves that were made. The Devers extension was great. I think that's a great move. The Justin Turner signing, that's solid. But it comes down to what they didn't do or what they, you know, they, they let Bogarts, Bogarts walk. They, uh, the Trevor story is just, it's kind of a devastating blow for a team that was already going to look to shop for some middle infield help. Now they definitely need it. Um, you look at maybe, okay, PK Hernandez could play second base or shortstop. Then what? Who are you going to put in the outfield? Who are you going to put in center? So, yeah, I think it's super disappointing. You look at what the Giants did, and that would be, if you asked me in December who had the most disappointing offseason, I'd be San Francisco right there. But looks like they maybe were onto something about Correa because they weren't the only team, of course, that, that said no thank you. And they actually did do some solid pickups. I liked Mitch Haniger. I liked the Ross Stripling signing. I liked the Shamanaya signing. Taylor Rogers is very cool. You look at the Red Sox, and to me, when you look at all the moves they made, there are some solid moves there, but they do not outweigh the devastating losses that this Red Sox front office has gone through this offseason. You know, there's a, I, I'm trying to I'm trying I'm struggling to to get the right example, but you know when you've made a bad decision and you know it's a bad decision and you're still in the midst of it and it's getting bad and you just don't know what to do other than to just keep going with it it's like the story of my life yeah absolutely yeah it's like if your your flight is delayed instead of booking a different flight you just sit there for a couple hours waiting for the original flight to go i think it's something along these lines like a three-hour delay and you're like oh just wait for this one it's like no rebook get on get get out of that mess and and there's there's a certain quality of like slow-mo about it where you're just like oh this is bad and it's happening and i should do something to stop it and it's still bad and why don't i do something to stop it the i think this is so the beginning question is who are you going to keep xander bogarts or Raphael devers if you maybe you maybe you decided you can't afford to give both 300 million dollars so which one are you going to keep so you decide we're going to keep Raphael devers the minute you decide that you should be going so hard at shortstop and and trades and signings and whatever. And and I think the Red Sox think they were doing this because there are rumors that they reached out to the Marlins for Miguel Rojas, right? So they are there. So they're in the trade market quietly trying to see who can we pick up. They can't do anything really big because they've already decided we're not giving 300 million to a shortstop, right? So it has to be something smaller and they're still talking to Xander Bogart. So they can't like, you know, execute it early. They have to do it late, whatever their plan is. Um, And so I think they got into that. Oh, was this a bad decision? Kind of slow mo. And they said to story, Hey, throw from short. You know, like they get ready to be shortstop this year, right? We're going to call Miguel Rojas. We're going to get you ready at short. We're probably going to tell Christian Arroyo to stretch out his arm and see if he can play short. We're going to tell Enrique to take, you know, to take balls on the infield. We're going to do everything we can. We're going to be smart about this. We decided on Devers. We're going to be smart about shortstop. And we're going to figure it out because we're waiting for Marcelo Meyer. And so we just need to find something in, shorts, in the short term. But every one of those decisions has seemed, seemingly sort of fallen apart. And some of it... They should have known ahead of time because when Trevor Story was being uh, was a free agent and was going around, the, there were legitimately teams that said, we don't think he's a shortstop. He's got a noodle arm. Something's going on with that arm. We think he might have to have surgery on that arm, literally. And you can see it. He was already one of the worst shortstops by arm strength when he was a free agent. And that was at like 82 miles an hour. 
And then at, the first year in Boston, he was at 79 miles an hour. And then last year, it was 76 miles an hour, which you could be like, fine, he's at second. He doesn't have to throw it that hard to get to first. Well, it was 61st out of 70 second basemen that played last year in baseball. So basically, one of probably the worst regular second base arm that was out there. It was a, a total noodle, and it was obviously hanging by a thread. So, you know, to tell that guy, oh, yeah, go stretch it out. Yeah, throw hard this offseason. See what happens. Uh, I don't know. It seems like one of those slow-mo disasters. <laughs> just, they just they couldn't get out. They could not step on their own feet. It's when you have, like, a six-year-old holding your hot coffee, like, well, that, that that's horrible parenting. Don't don't do that. It's that kind of disaster. The slow so many disaster. different things could go wrong at this moment. Right? It's it's the brain. It's like, oh wait, hold this for me because maybe you're helping the other kid or something, and then coffee's just airborne disaster. Or they drink it. <laughs> yeah, yeah I could, that's the other way it could backfire. I'm always worried about the injury more than the the consumption of the caffeine. But hey, the the thing with story this this is kind of an unknown timetable because there haven't been that many of these internal bracing procedures. It's an alternative to Tommy John. The early end of the estimate is more like mid-May. The later end right now is mid-July, but that's very much written in pencil. So the stop gaps are trade options like Rojas and Elvis Andrews. I mean, like who, who's really playing shortstop, Katie? Who's going to be the opening day shortstop for the Red Sox? And can they somehow cobble it together with internal options? Or do you think they have to go outside the organization? I think Paul DeYoung's trade value has just skyrocketed. <laughs> um, when, I mean, look at it. I mean, this is a Cardinals perspective, not on purpose, but I'm looking at shortstops that could be traded. And you're looking at Paul DeYoung because this is a guy that Okay, let's say Trevor Story's out for, we'll do the, the middle of the of, of the approximation, two months. Well, Paul DeYoung is in desperate need of a bounce back offensively, but he is one of the top, I would say definitely in the top 15 out of the 30 starting shortstops um, in baseball. You know, he's a solid defender. He has good arm strength. He can play shortstop. He can be your everyday defensive shortstop. Of course, you're going to be worried about the the offense, especially when you look at the average, the OPS, the strikeout percentage, right? But the Cardinals are in a really good spot when it comes to middle infield. They have a ton of it. They like to construct their roster based on versatility. Paul DeYoung can really only play shortstop. He can do second base every now and again. But the Cardinals have already stated Tommy Edmond is their starting shortstop come spring training. They're going to give Paul DeYoung plenty of opportunities to go out there and, and try to you know win some sort of role. But worst comes to worst, Cardinals could also use some help from either the outfield perspective or a pitching perspective. I think they have plenty of room to shop a middle infielder, and if they would, it'd be Paul DeYoung. But I do think all of a sudden, I know we talked a lot about the shortstops and the free agency part of the offseason, but I think trade value for shortstops has just increased pretty uh, exponentially because it's, it's pretty clear the Red Sox have to go outside of the organization here. Yeah, I think one of the best things about this time of year is sometimes it's the trade that you just can't even see coming, but a team like Cleveland actually has a lot of middle infield depth too. They could trade Ahmed Rosario and replace him with one of their prospects if they want to, if they decide that they can work out a deal that helps them in the long run, right? So I think that's the best part of January, the unexpected moves that can can trickle down. I think Eno mentioned him kind of in passing, their top prospect, Marcelo Mayer. I mean, how long until he's realistically ready? I think what Atlanta did last year with Vaughn Grissom has me overly optimistic about prospects that haven't even played at double a yet but if the goal just ends up being 
Let's find an internal option who's a good defender at the position that doesn't hurt us. Could we see an early season promotion or a mid-season promotion for Mayer if he hits the ground running, likely with an assignment at AA to begin the year? Am I being unrealistic here, you know? I think it's pushing it a little bit. Uh, he's 20 years old. He had 116 plate appearances at high A. Um, a more conservative uh, approach might be to start him at high A and hope he gets to double A next year, um, You know, given his age. However, he does have a pretty refined approach at the plate. A uh, lot of walks, a lot of power. He did really well at every level that he played at, and... Um, I think there's been a change in player development uh, among farm directors that I talked to recently that if the guy has done well, why am I wasting uh, wasting bullets in the minor leagues? Like, let's just keep pushing them along until until there is some struggle. And so I do I think you I think you're right that he'll play in double A next year. I doubt he'll play any in the big leagues. Um, I think the earliest you could think is next year. So I think you're the one thing that I would say about um you know, the different options we're talking about, Ahmed Rosario, Miguel Rojas, Paul DeYoung, I think I'd be more likely uh, to expect uh, somebody on the lower end, like a DeYoung or Rojas, than even a Rosario, because uh, although Rosario, I think, is only one year left of team control, so maybe he belongs in that group, but I just don't see the Red Sox under Bloom being a team that wants to trade away a top prospect, you know? So I feel like they are trying, they're going to be trying to get whatever they can get on the cheap. Um, there was a rumor that Tristan Casas was, was leaving town, but um, I, I just don't see them doing that for like a Miguel Rojas, right? Um, and they've got, you know, Nick York coming. I think they want Nick York to play second base for them. Um, and then when you, when you get past those guys, their, their prospects are mostly 40s and 45s, which means... Um, you know, not great prospects. Maybe the best of the rest is Sedana Rafaela, who plays second center field, which they also need. So I don't think they're going to trade an up the middle guy because they have really up the the middle concerns. Um, So, you know, Bobby Dalbeck to the Marlins for Miguel Rojas. Or, I mean, I just don't think that the, the, the Cardinals are saying, oh yeah, we need Bobby Dalbeck. No, no, I don't think any yeah, but team the Marlins, is doing that right now. The Marlins really need offense, and the Marlins have taken chances on guys with high strikeout rates in the past. There's still three years of control for Bobby Dalbeck. He's 27. They could put him on that team right now and see if, you know, give him some plate appearances and see if he's better than Garrett Cooper. Like, you know, that's that 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 would be an interesting fit. And Rojas only has one year, I think, of team control either. So something like that, I think, is most likely. And maybe even also signing Elvis Andrews, you know? So that because they kind of, you know, it would be a better team if Kike was playing center. Yeah, because Duran like did not really impress in Boston in his first attempt. Right. So you, you look at where the Red Sox project right now by war, just below the Rangers, the Brewers, the White Sox, the Angels, slightly ahead of the Giants, the Marlins, the Orioles, the Pirates and the Cubs. Like that's it's tough sledding. It's not where you're used to seeing the Red Sox this time of year leads me to a question. What is more likely to happen to the 2023 Red Sox? Are they more likely to finish top three in the AL East or bottom two based on the strength of this division as a whole? If you had to wager on it today, Katie, which side would you take for the Red Sox in their finish? 
I'm, I'm slamming bottom two. Just, <laughs> uh, I mean, we, we talked about it, right? You look at the AL East and it's a powerhouse of a division. Uh, and almost every team in that division has gotten better while the Red Sox just kind of keep digging themselves in, in the same hole. And it's frustrating, I'm, I'm sure, for a Red Sox fan because when you are a Red Sox fan and you're, you're used to, especially over the last decade or so, being at least competitive, and this is a division where you just cannot afford to keep making these mistakes in the offseason where you can't afford to be doing patchworking all season. And this is pretty much what the Red Sox are going to do to start the season. They're going to be patchworking a good majority of their starting nine. And I, for me, from in this division especially, I'm a big Orioles believer. I do think they skyrocket up into much, into much higher contention this year than we've seen. But I just I don't really have a lot of faith in the Red Sox right now. I will say, I say this to Cardinals fans all the time, there's still four to five weeks in the offseason. Things can change. We've seen it happen. But right now, as of today, bottom two. How about you? You know, what do you think? I agree. There's about three wins difference between the team projections. And a lot of it is in starting pitching. The, uh, the, the Orioles have seven wins combined projected from their starting pitching, which is uh, pretty, pretty bad. Uh, the Red Sox have 11, but the back end of their rotation uh, in Boston is uh, made up of guys that the real question marks. James Paxton, Garrett Whitlock was a reliever last year, and uh, rookie Brian Bayo. So you know that's a that's a tough uh, bottom uh, three. Whereas I feel like the Red Sox they don't even have uh, you know significant projections for guys like DL Hall. Um, you know, Kyle Bradish could be taking a step step forward. Um, uh, Grayson Rodriguez is projected for 120 innings. What if he pitches more? Uh, they've got some really interesting pitching coming up through the ranks. Uh, there's even a name I can't remember right now. It's not in front of me, but um, you know, their 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 pitching is getting better, and uh, and I could see their pitching basically being the reason uh, that they that they're better than. Uh, Boston this year. Yeah, I'm on the bottom two uh, side of this right now, too. I, I think some of the Red Sox shortcomings are being overblown because a healthy Chris Sale, to me, is still an impact frontline starting pitcher. I think that's still in the range of outcomes. Kluber should give them quality innings. Nick Pavetta is okay as a back-end guy. It really depends on Sale staying healthy, Brian Bayo taking a step forward. I think the bullpen is quietly a little better than it was going into last season. So that's an area where they've improved, but that's like the last thing people really care about when looking at a roster. I think because they lost Xander Bogarts, the focus is on what they've lost rather than the small things they've gained. Yoshida in left field, Masataka Yoshida, if the Stephen Kwan comps that Eno has put out there hold up just in terms of the type of offensive profile he brings... That's fine. That's a good player. You're happier with that than you are with some of the alternatives that would have been out there in free agency. We'll see how that did cost you a hundred million. Cost you a lot of money for for a player that <laughs> might have been easier to find and develop, you know, through an organizational you know, draft pick or something along those lines. Nevertheless, I don't think they're a disaster squad. I do think it's worth taking the over on the Orioles pitching projections for the reasons you've mentioned between Grayson Rodriguez, DL Hall. Braddish at the end of the season showing signs and, and the park's also different too. It's not the uphill battle it was before they changed the dimensions at Camden Yards. So I think you can find, might even be able to find pitchers actually want to go there in the future. That could be something that's a little bit different about Baltimore. But I would say the Red Sox bottom two at this time and just it seems like bad luck tacked on top of a few tactical errors for the front office over the course of the winter. And while we're in the AL East, Brandon Belt 
has relocated. Brandon Belt is a Blue Jay. That's going to be weird. That's just that guy is just a giant in my mind now and forever. It's a one-year deal. He does add a, a left-handed option to the first base and DH mix. Now we've seen the K percentage jump up going back to the start of 2021. You know, what kind of player do you think Belt is going to be for the Jays? It's been okay. I mean, yes, he's his his K rate has gone up, and last year was not his best season. But the knee was really hurting. I think most of the last season, only in two hundred ninety eight plate appearances. Before that, even with the aggressive uh, strikeout rate in twenty twenty one, he was fifty seven better, fifty seven percent better than league average. Once you account for that park, he's a guy who walks, will strike out, but also hits many balls in the air, barrels the ball well. Um, and has for you know the three la- three of the last seasons been uh, you know at his best when it comes to barreling the ball. So that was a team that I think it would I think it's fair to say they needed lefty uh, hitting. They hit righties well, and their righties hit righties well. But the way that numbers work with splits like that is you'd almost never project a right hander to uh, have reverse platoon splits. You'd almost always expect a right-hander to be better against left-handers going forward. So even if that's what they did last year, you want to build a team that has some lefties on it, especially in a year where the rules are changing. So I think like, you know, them going out and getting Belt uh, and getting uh, Kiermaier uh, gives them two lefties at positions where um, they could otherwise play righties. And um, I think it balances out their team a little bit. I do think that with Brandon Belt's knee, which, um, like, honestly, it's it's really close to being career ending. I think like it's it, that's why he got a one year deal. It's it's one of those knees where a couple of times in San Francisco, while I've been at games, uh, we've been discussing if he's going to come back from the knee injury. You know, and sometimes he pops back up, and sometimes he's out for the rest of the season. So I think with Brandon Belt needs in that situation, I think he never sees a left-hander this year, um, and that's for two reasons: not only his splits, but also uh, basically load management on those knees. So there's a guy who's got 400 plate appearances for you, 20 homers, uh, you know, 20% better than league average, helps the team round out. Um, and uh, like a useful addition. I'm a little surprised nine nine plus million for a player like that, but um, uh, maybe lefties were in more demand uh, because of the new rule changes. Yeah, I think it's going to take a little bit of, of playing time pressure off of Alejandro Kirk, who would have been a regular DH without the addition of Bell because of the other changes on this roster. You know, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. is gone. Teoscar Hernandez is gone. A lot of shifting in Toronto. Uh, I think Kirk's playing time drops just a bit. Maybe once you get to the most critical points of the season, Belt's on the bench against some righties, depending on how things go, because you know, they may value Danny Jansen's defense over Kirk's, and they may see Kirk as a better matchup against certain pitchers than Belt, too. So um, the depth in Toronto does look really good at this point. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. One more great product from LinkedIn. You're there to network, you're there to look for jobs, you're there to post jobs, and how about LinkedIn Sales Navigator? It's a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. 
Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash baseball show. That is linkedin.com slash baseball show for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash baseball show and get started. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. We need balance, right? We've been talking about the American League for 35 minutes already. So I want to throw kind of a generic NL question out there. I'm going to throw this to you first, Katie. We're really in that sweet spot, like I mentioned earlier. Anything could still happen to change these rosters. A blockbuster trade could still happen. But as things stand today, which team do you think is currently underrated as a legitimate NL pennant contender? This is this is so hard for me because when you're looking at the National League teams, they're all powerhouses, right? Like, I can't go out here and be like, oh, the Braves are asleep before the pennant. Well, no, they're, <laughs> they're not. They're really good. Oh, the Mets. Well, no, at their $400 billion payroll. Uh, no, that's not a sleeper pick at all. And, I mean, are the Padres really a sleeper at this point? I feel like, you know, they made some really great moves this <clears> offseason. <throat> the Dodgers took a step back. And I can't even say the Phillies because they just won the pennant. So this is a very tough question. Um, there aren't that many choices, actually. <laughs> yeah, I guess I guess if I have to pick one, I would say the Padres because I just feel like they do have that like little brother kind of syndrome with LA for so long. But to me, they're the best team in the NL West. They're gonna they're not gonna get a lot of love nationally because they are a smaller market. You know, San Diego from a, is is not LA in terms of media coverage, but. I think that is the best team in the NL West. And I think they're a roster built to hold its own against any of the other powerhouses in the, uh, in the national league. Uh, I mean, the NL central Cardinals are probably the favorite there, but they really haven't impressed me all that much. They made their one move they had to make and they were like, all right, we're done. Um, I, I think you, you really have to bank on, I mean, a lot of the postseason now because it's expanded is a little bit random, but you have to have a postseason that's built with on two things. You have to have guys that can hit, and you have to have solid starting pitching, especially a one-two combo at the top. To me, the Padres have three. I don't think when you're looking at them from a national perspective, you think they can compare to the Braves, that they can compare to what the Phillies are doing or the Mets. But that, that's my sleeper, really, at San Diego. Um, and I, I think that they, they win the NL West easily, and we'll see about the pennant. Easily. I like that. I like that extra mm-hmm. little, that extra little yeah. jab that you got in there. <laughs> How about you, Eno? Yeah, I, I think the Dodgers are a little ripe for the picking um, just because, you know, even though they project fairly well behind the Padres, um, there's a reason to maybe uh, doubt some of those projections. Projections become less useful for pit players over 32. Uh, they have a 32-year-old at f- or, or older at first, second, third, and DH. Uh, so that's four guys that, uh, you know, I think are big question marks. And in terms of young guys that they could have step forward in positions of need, um, I'd, 
I'm I'd like Miguel Vargas. So I think uh, I just want to be clear that is a, a really good bat, and he could really help them, and he could really change things. Gavin Lux could have a better you know year with the bat, and is probably a, a good shortstop. Uh, but in the outfield, uh, there Trace Thompson is is an older player. James Altman is I don't think that's super exciting. They 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 have some needs out there. Uh, that I don't see necessarily being filled right away with young players. So I think this is going to be one of those sort of gap years for the Dodgers where they are gettable. Um, and so I like that pick of the Padres, but it's hard for me uh, to call them a sleeper because right now the Padres are projected as the best team in the National League. <laughs> so um, that's that's by wins above replacement, at least. Um, so I, I went a little bit uh, further down the depth charts um, and... Um, I'm going to pick something that's going to make you feel better. Maybe the Brewers. The uh, the reasonings I have for the Brewers as a sleeper team uh, are such. The new rules uh, with this the shift are going to put pressure on uh, striking people out more. You do not want to let balls in play if you can't defend them like you used to. Uh, the M- Milwaukee Brewers were fourth last year in strikeout rate, returned most of that staff, uh, minus Hader, um, you know, to 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 the team to the field this year, uh, the Cardinals were second worst in baseball in strikeout rate. So, uh, in terms of pitching staff, the Brewers are way more ready uh, for the changes this year. In terms of uh, hitting, which is actually the real question with the Brewers, um, you know, I, I I it's always like a question if they can put together an above average offense. However, Rowdy Tellez as a lefty uh, might be one of the biggest recipients of uh of of better luck this year due to the shift rules jesse winker is on that list they now have uh, a few more lefties than they did uh in the past uh in that lineup to around christian yellick so you know i think you know four or five lefties in the lineup every night that's going to be good um also the trade for william Contreras, i think was uh pretty pretty well done so you know that really helps them have someone who's going to be an offensive threat at a tough position. And the last thing I want to say is that what I just said about the Dodgers, I think is actually true about the Brewers in terms of positions of need. You would say their second base is not great. Well, Bryce Turang did take a step forward last year. They've got a young guy there that could be uh, that could take a step forward this year. In the outfield and center, they've got Garrett Mitchell and Tyrone Taylor, both young guys that could step forward. And at the back end of their rotation, they've got Aaron Ashby. So they really have young guys that could step forward in every in every direction. If Adrian Hauser has to go to the bullpen because they have so many starters, that's a that's good news for them because they could use a little help in the bullpen. But really, they have answers to most of their questions which is, uh, I think, an interesting place to be in, especially for a team that most people think didn't do anything this offseason. <laughs> I know. They haven't done anything in free agency, but the the William Contreras heist, as it's come to be known in the Van Riper household, filled <laughs> a huge area of need because the, the wish list was an upgraded catcher. And I think for people who were pie in the sky, it was Sean Murphy himself. But when Sean Murphy went to Atlanta, a team that seemingly had catcher covered, the Brewers swooped in and got a young catcher, a guy that does bolster their offense and, and does probably take you know, three quarters of the playing time there. Roddy Telez is really interesting because I was looking at the steamer projections. He's projected to be their best hitter by WRC+. And I watch him all the time. Either a lot of us are underrating Rowdy Telez or this is one of those drunk projections that we're going to point back at later and go, yeah, that 
that was a that was a red flag. But I think the things that people are sleeping on about this team are the trades. If Jesse Winker is healthy, I think we get a pretty big bounce back from him uh, as kind of a DH now, pretty clearly not a good defender. Christian Yelich isn't MVP Yelich anymore. People get upset about that. He could still be an all-star. If he's an all-star level player, that's fine. That's good enough. That works. That goes back to what you were saying earlier. You know, when you have a player on a mega deal, and in Yelich's case, it was a mega extension, you just need him to be an all-star for like the first half of the deal. And injuries have complicated that for Yelich, but if he can put together a couple all-star seasons in 23 and 24, four wins that is helps. worth almost $40 million. Yeah. That four wins is an all-star. I think when you look at some of the young players they've got, they've got outfield depth, right? Garrett Mitchell's a good defensive center fielder, has a lot of swing and miss. If you can lower that, he becomes an impact player. They have Sal Freelich, who doesn't strike out. That gives them a different sort of look oh, for their I offense. Even, I forgot him. Yeah, there's a, there's even some, like, that's all the positions of need, too. Mm-hmm. Like, they have interesting guys at positions of need. Yeah, so I, I, I like what they've actually been doing. I actually think they might need another bullpen armor, too. Fine, you yeah. get those in season. You mentioned Hauser. I'd be curious to see what he does with extra velo working out of the bullpen. Hopefully we are at the point where uh, they can try that with him and, and possibly find another late inning arm that way. I was maybe leading the witnesses a little bit by putting this question on the rundown, but the the ban on me talking about the Brewers in this show expired at the end of 2022. We are back. We are in full force. Brewers you can't content not is talk here about again. Them if I bait you like that. <laughs> I could set the rundown and, and make the bait, but I can't just bring them up out of context. If you're having we conversations... Just don't want to turn this into an NL Central podcast. <laughs> I know. No, but if, if Katie and Eno are talking about you know the Orioles getting better and I swoop in and start talking about Luis Arias, that's a bit of a problem, right? <laughs> that's <We're>, a problem. <laughs> it's never hit that level, and it will only hit that level if we get to September and the Brewers are up like 26 games on the Cardinals in the NL Central. I had that dream once. It, so it could happen. It could happen. Like we said, guys, NL Central, AL Central... Everyone's uh, in the mix, right? In the mix. That's good. That's fun, right? We don't want it to be predictable and boring. So, I think we got our title for the for the episode. <laughs> there it is. I think the the SEO folks are are telling me to use Carlos Correa's name in the title at least once. Oh, but that's uh, right. <laughs> hey, I'm glad he's got a team, and it's fun that he's a small Carlos Correa in the mix. <laughs> <laughs> ridiculous titles and headlines for 300 please yeah (laughs) creative sessions around these parts are um, not always productive (laughs) sessions but they're fun and that's the important thing we have a lot of laughs we have to go on our way out quick reminder you can find katie on twitter at katie j woo you can find eno at eno saris you can find me at derek van riper if you don't have a subscription to the athletic you can get one it's two dollars a month for the first year at the athletic.com slash baseball show that's going to do it for this episode of the 3-0 show the athletic baseball show returns next week we always got the green light here